Greetings, everyone. You're listening to KYRS, Medical Expo Can, 88.1, 92.3 FM. And this is Art Hour. I'm your host, Mike Malsom. I'm your other host, Eric Woodard. Eric, today uh, we're pleased to have as our guest, Executive Director of Spokane Arts, Melissa Huggins. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hi, Melissa. Hello. And as we were just talking, Melissa, are you a f- former student? Of I Eric's? am. I went to LC. Yeah, many, many LC alums floating around these parts. Now, when you got out of LC, uh, you went to PLU, right? I, I did. I actually started at the University of Puget Sound in uh, Tacoma and then transferred. But yes, I went and, to PLU. And when you went there, what did you want to do? What did you want to study? I wanted to be an English major. Okay. I figured I would be an English major. I thought for a while that I would teach um, and obviously ultimately didn't do that. Do you but still think you might do it? I, you know, I would love to teach some college classes. I don't think that I would go into academia as my career. Okay, so like yeah. an adjunct or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. And then so you got your English degree. I did. And yes. And then what did you do? I mean, you probably did the same thing. Well, you probably did something more constructive than I did. I got an English degree and started waiting tables. Yeah, well, I did that before <laughs> I got my English degree so and I, after. Yeah. yeah. No, I did that before and after I got my English degree. Uh, so, yeah, I went to PLU, um, majored in English. Uh, I was living in Tacoma, of course, spent a couple of years there. I was working in nonprofits a little bit. I worked for Planned Parenthood for a little while, and I knew that I wanted to do a grad program in creative writing. And so I was applying. I got into a couple of programs. They didn't give me enough funding. And so I waited. And then ultimately, that was what brought me back to Spokane was doing my MFA at EWU. Okay. And, and, the, and did and did you finish? You got your MFA. I did. Yeah, yeah. I had a really good experience. I'm wow. glad. I, yeah. Now with an MFA, what did you want to do with that? Did you want to be a novelist? Did you want to be a poet? Did what, a screenwriter? What did you want to do? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about an MFA is uh, you need to go into an MFA recognizing that you're getting a two-year degree in the fine arts, right? So like you don't go you don't go into an MFA expecting to make gobs of money afterward and you don't go into an MFA expecting to be guaranteed a career. Um, so I went into that with clear eyes, I think. Uh, so the way that the program is structured, you you focus on one genre. Mm-hmm. So my focus was fiction. I also took classes in nonfiction. Um, very little dabbling in poetry happened. Thank goodness. Good for everyone. Uh, yeah. So my focus was fiction. So I wrote mostly short stories. I started a, no- a novel manuscript as part of my um, thesis. And since then, I've been writing a mix of short stories and essays. So what happened to the novel manuscript? That, I don't know that I'll ever go back to that particular really? novel manuscript. You know, I just, it doesn't hold my interest in the way that it did. And this is very common. Any, Almost any writer who comes to town for Get Lit or who has published multiple books will talk about the books that they have buried. Um, the writer Jonathan Evison, are you familiar with Jonathan Evison? Mm-hmm. He's a Washington writer. I believe he won the Washington State Book Award at least once. Um, and he would literally bury his novel manuscripts in the backyard. And he buried five manuscripts I think if I'm remembering this right he buried five book manuscripts before he got a book published Um, and since then he's had a you know steady career he's churned out books he's won awards Um, but most of the novelists that I'm familiar with have thrown out 
a lot of pages and even some full manuscripts. Now, so. what, I mean, so I, I know you can't talk to why he did it, but what, what, what made you lose interest in it? What is it about a manuscript that you go, I spent so much time on this thing, and now I just don't ever want to look at it again? Yeah, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of it is probably um, the thing that drives me most is an interest in character. And I think um, I'm still interested in that character, but I don't. So there's I may go back to her, but I don't know that I had the right um, sort of setting a narrative thrust for her. I'm still I'm still interested in her. She might come back in another story or manuscript. So I'm wondering if you buried the manuscript, maybe metaphorically, but (laughs) did you um, bury the itch as well? Or do you still have the itch, the creative itch? Yeah, no, I am still writing uh, not nearly as much as I would like to be, certainly, but uh, I am still writing and absolutely do want to publish a novel. I mean, uh, that's absolutely a goal of mine. you know, most likely it will probably be a short story collection first or an essay collection first um, because I'm further along in those than I am in a novel manuscript. But I love as a reader, I love novels. You know, I grew up reading novels. I love the feeling of sinking into a really great novel. So now did where did you get your um, spark, so to speak, to do literary work? Was it high school, middle school and and as you said, you had Eric as a teacher. Was there a teacher that inspired that along the way? Yeah. Um, how did that all start? Yeah, I mean, it sounds, uh, I feel like my experience, it it's all sounds very cliche in the sense that I was a very early reader. I was a young reader. Um, you know, my parents would read stories to me at night. My grandparents were great about reading with me. And I just loved books and that was you know it from a very young age I would be the kid that my parents would have to tell me something six times because my nose was buried in a book and I was completely blocking (laughs) out what they were trying to say to me um so yeah I just I love reading so much and I think until I had really great I mean I did a you know some very very bad writing in high school that Eric had to suffer through but um, no I really mean suffer through but uh, I think until I had a professor in college who really said you know this is you can put a sentence together you know this is something that you might consider pursuing um, and here are the pathways through which you could explore that. I had I didn't even know that an MFA in creative writing existed as a degree until that point, you know. Um, so yeah, I think that was kind of a turning point was being encouraged to take a creative writing workshop and sort of explore that. Now I know you you said you wanted to go back to the writing, and I know I talked talked to you recently, and you said I'm just I've been so busy. I haven't had time to go back to it. Have you had time to go back to it recently? I mean, a little bit. I think what my hope for this winter um, is to get back into more of a regular schedule. There are a few writer friends who we meet every, we have a dedicated time every Sunday afternoon Mm -hmm. and we go to a particular coffee shop and we write there from 2 to 5 p.m. And, you know, one person is editing their manuscript and one person is generating new work and one person is sending out work. Um, But it's nice for me to have that dedicated, carved out, kind of sacred time that can't be interrupted by a phone call or an email or a work meeting. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered, you know, and, and I'm not a writer, but 
I don't know how you could help but not be inspired because it seems like the community is pretty close-knit. I mean, I know lots of people who write, and, and they're doing amazing work. So, I mean, even as a bystander, you're somewhat inspired to, I can't let this go. I mean, my tribe is out there right. doing all this work. You know yeah, I mean? no, it is inspiring. And I think this is one of the things, and I say this a lot, so I apologize if you've heard me say this before, but I think one of the things that is so lovely and so valuable about the writing community in Spokane is that everyone is genuinely supportive. Um, you know, I think what happens in other cities is that the writing community or artistic communities can be much more hierarchical where someone who has published eight books only hangs out with other people who publish eight books and someone who's published one book only hangs out with people who've published one book and in Spokane it's absolutely the opposite you know like Sharma Shields is willing to meet with some you know any undergrad or grad student who says hey could we go out for coffee and and I want to ask you a couple of questions or Jess Walter or Sharma Shields or or uh, Sean Vestal or you know there's so many of these writers in the community who have just been so lovely and generous with their time and willing to um, support and encourage and foster emerging writers, which makes a huge difference in the ecosystem. Yeah, well, why, do you have any theory as to why that is? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, part of it feels like uh, the it. it this may just be because I'm from Spokane and I love Spokane so much, but it feels like a very Spokane thing in the sense that as a community, we are generally, you know, though flawed as a community, we are generally very kind and generous and helpful and willing to kind of lend a hand to someone if we perceive that, you know, we could do them a favor and it's not going to do me any harm and it's easy for me to help you. People are willing to do that. Um, so I don't know. I think that's part of it, but I don't know. Yeah, and it, you know, we've interviewed now several artists of different uh, genres, and almost everyone would say the same thing. I'm, I'm, and I'm hoping it's not an evolutionary thing. Like you have an emerging scene, and you've got all these great writers and now that are being recognized, and you're getting some artists that are being recognized both regionally and inter- and nationally yeah. as well as internationally that it doesn't take this trajectory that now that we're starting to get some of these elite artists that it kind of takes on that hierarchical form because I think uh, for emerging artists, this is a great environment. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah, and I think another part of it that maybe is... Uh, slightly unique to the writing community is that there's a feedback mechanism and a criticism mechanism that's built into um, that's built in right so writers um, gather for workshops and give each other constructive feedback they're exchanging work we're giving feedback as a group you know that's built into the process in a way that it isn't necessarily in all arts disciplines and so I think uh, that is part of why I would argue the writing community has been you know functioning in a pretty healthy way it's a healthy ecosystem where you have a mix of writers at different stages and everybody is you know friendly and supportive and encouraging um and I think that maybe that the like feedback and criticism piece, those building blocks haven't been put into place maybe in all of the arts disciplines. And I think that would help foster, um, again, a, just like a more healthy ecosystem across the board. 
Right. So you you came back for your MFA. Mm-hmm. You got your MFA, and then what was the trajectory of getting you from your MFA to Get Lit? What what happened between MFA and Get Lit? Well, so I actually started at Get Lit uh, as part of the MFA oh. program as an intern. I, mm-hmm. I interned for Get Lit, uh, which is one of the things that was a big benefit about doing that two-year MFA program and is maybe a little bit unique to EWU, I would argue, is that uh, internships like practical knowledge, gaining practical real-world knowledge along with your fine arts degree mm-hmm. is built into the, mm-hmm. is built into the program. So we were um, encouraged to do lots of internships. Get Lit was one of those. So I interned and then I was hired as the graduate assistant for Get Lit. So I served as the assistant coordinator and uh, my boss at the time, Danielle, her wife was getting um, was in the military and she was getting transferred down to San Diego and she said you know this is an academic institution I have no control over who they'll hire after me but I can at least teach you what I know you know teach you more than I would teach a regular assistant and just hope that you're in the best position to be a strong candidate so um, got hired at Get Lit directed Get Lit for five years Mm -hmm. and then um, made the move to Spokane Arts. Was that a natural move? I mean, get lit and 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 just because of your background to be still be involved with the arts? Yeah, I think I knew that I wanted to work in nonprofits. Um, you know, I think I had been pretty clear on that after undergrad and, and grad school. And so having that experience as an arts administrator, it did feel like... Um, you know, within the realm of reason to make that move. And it also felt very exciting to me to be able to expand the, you know, the uh, reach of artistic disciplines that I was working directly with. So in the in the time, how long have you been with Spokane Arts? Three years. Three years. So um, what have you seen um, in three years of kind of where it started and how maybe your vision is starting to be actualized in terms of the the arts community in Spokane. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of really incredible groundwork laid for me when I took over. So I had the good fortune, right when I got hired, uh, Spokane Arts had just recently hired uh, Jennifer Knickerbocker as the grants administrator. And her, she was tasked with creating a grants program from the ground up. Uh, The city of Spokane had passed the admissions tax ordinance, which dedicated a very small portion of taxes that are collected uh, from the city. So 30% of the admissions tax goes into a fund that's dedicated to arts and culture in the city of Spokane. And we were tasked with administering that. So it was incredibly satisfying to work so closely with Jennifer to build that program because she had developed um, granting programs before and I had a really strong idea of what I did want the program to do and what I didn't want the program to do um, from having applied for grants myself and knowing you know how difficult it can be so that was um, that was really important that that feels like really important work and then since then we've given away almost two hundred thousand dollars worth of grants in 2019 alone we're ga- we have granted uh, by the end of 2019 we will have granted a hundred thousand dollars just this year and we will have more than a hundred thousand dollars to grant in 2020 so um, it sounds like then spoken arts has grown a lot since it first started right yeah 
Yeah. And you've you've had to bring on other people, but also it seems like you're just spinning more and more plates. Yeah, I mean, one of the... So in addition to building the grants program, one of the main things that I wanted to uh, kind of build on, again, build on the work that had been done before, was that there was a perception that um, Spokane Arts was mainly focused on the visual arts because, you know, we oversee public art in the city, Mm -hmm. so murals and sculptures and the signal box program and all of that. And because of the visibility of that and the Chase Gallery, I think there was a perception that that was all that we do. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, and that's not the case, firstly, it wasn't the case when I took over, but we since then have been really intentional about building programming across various disciplines. So uh, creating, working with um, Spokane Film Project to create, and many others to create the Music Video Jams event where we pair emerging filmmakers with emerging musicians and creating Theater Fest, which is an annual performing arts showcase that we held at the Fox and the Bing this year, which um, gave the opportunity to a bunch of local groups to give short little previews of their fall season. And we invite the community in. It's free to the community. Families and kids can come and experience these really short um, but free performances of things that they otherwise may not have ever had the chance to experience. You know, maybe they had never been to see a ballet or the opera or a flamenco group or a improv theater group, you know, whatever it may be. So I think that has been kind of a big focus of mine is like expanding, supporting to the degree that we can with an organization that has one full-time person and two part-time people, you know, supporting as many creative disciplines as we can. So where do these, I mean, where do ideas come from? I mean, I hate that question, but the idea, I mean, do you, are these things that come from you? You say, here's an interesting idea. Um, are these things that come from the community? And then kind of my next question is, let's say somebody has an idea. Yeah. I mean, what do they do and how if it just is peripherally related to the arts you just say well that's us I mean how does how does it go from not existing to existing yeah I mean both of the programs that I just mentioned the music video jams and theater fest those came from um, other groups you know community members and other groups and a lot of the other uh, kind of programs and fun things that we do have been, uh, you know, Mark Anderson came up with the idea to do these neighborhood lit crawls mm-hmm. where we pick a neighborhood and we have, you know, a, a miniature lit crawl on a Sunday afternoon through Logan or East Central or North Hill or whatever neighborhood. Um, so, yeah, it's it's often a mix of like partnerships and collaborations and people coming to us with ideas. And of course, we can't say yes to everything, of mm-hmm. course, because we're small and we have a very small staff Um, but we have tried to be strategic in terms of um, you know how much of an impact will this have is it achieving is it aligned with our mission of course but is it achieving things that we see as important for the long term right so part of the the reason that theater fest feels so important is that uh, we are providing access to the arts we're providing access to um again experience art forms that people may not otherwise be able to afford or seek out we're training a young generation a younger generation to to be able to uh walk up to an artist and meet them and say oh my gosh you're a ballerina i want to be a ballerina too tell me how you got there um so yeah it's kind of a mix but the partnerships are so key i feel like that um that is a huge part of this work for me is being able to have people come to us 
and be able to say, yes, that sounds incredible. Let's talk about how to make that happen. So with nonprofits, I know grant writing is is a big part of all of that, and that can be a real challenge. So uh, my first question is, is it's kind of the chicken and egg and maybe back, uh, you know, piggybacking on what Eric said. Do the ideas drive what grants um, that you can apply for? In other words, donors and, and people that, and foundations that go, oh, that's a great idea. I think this is something we would donate to. Or do you apply for grants and kind of get a little bit more general bucket of money of which then these other ideas can take uh, fruition? Yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know, the the conventional wisdom with, with grants, of course, is that you don't want to be applying for, you don't want to create programming for a grant opportunity, right? Um, so because then you're sort of chasing after something rather than being mission centric. So I think we've done a pretty good job of being um, mission centric. I think a lot of the projects that we have applied for grants or successfully received grants for have been partnered projects where, you know, we are partnered with uh, the city and STA and, you know, neighborhood representatives or a neighborhood council um, to show that there's really broad support with the uh, with that project. So yeah, it's kind of a mix. Um, and our workload is, uh, is just so massive with these public art projects. I mean, we're the only local organization who manages public art projects. And, and we're the only organization that has the experience to do that. And these projects, you know, some of them take three years, four years, five years. Um, they're massive. They have tons of stakeholders and construction teams and, and artist teams. And, you know, you've got a lot of cooks in the kitchen on these public art projects. Um, and so that takes up, you know, a, a massive amount of our workload. And I think most people wouldn't know what goes into being, you know, doing all of that stuff. And as you said, uh, we have a full-time employee and then two part-time employees. So, I mean, you know, maybe just walk us through a little bit of the, the just the, I guess, the enormous challenges it is to, to maintain. Yeah, yeah. Um, with the public art specifically or just in general? Yeah, just in, for Spokane Arts and the, the broad umbrella, as yeah. you talked about, your vision is to broaden that out and, and have people be aware of that. This is more than going on just visual arts. Right, aspect. yeah. So... We sort of have four pillars to what we do. Um, so the grant making, of course, is a big part of what we do. Um, what I call arts programming. So, you know, public art falls under that, as well as the Poet Laureate program and those neighborhood lit crawls and, uh, you know, this this wide range of other programming that we do in, in film and theater and, and other performing arts. And then we um, also take our role as an arts advocate very seriously. And so we are we tend to be the, the organization who is um, trying to rally people in terms of arts advocacy. So Spokane Arts was the entity that rallied everyone to pass the, you know, convince the city council to pass the admissions tax. And then we advocate to our state legislature in terms of arts and culture as well. And then uh, our fourth pillar is professional development. Mm. And so we offer classes and workshops and artist meetups and networking events to really support individual artists and creatives wherever they are in their career. So um, it is a broad profile, certainly. Uh, and so trying to find a balance of, you know, how can we both, you know, individual artists or individual creatives need 
uh, much more support than they're currently receiving, right? In terms mm-hmm. of they're struggling to find studio space, they need more funding. You know, grant funding is incredible, and we have funded just such an array of wonderful projects. And the artists who have been funded by those, by our Saga grants, are able to leverage their funding into much more than they receive. So if we give out, in the first year of the grants program, we granted $85,000 in direct funding to artists and organizations. Those groups alone leveraged that $85,000 into $1.2 million in other funding. What do you mean by leveraging? What does that mean? So, uh, in or- so for the project that they proposed to us, whatever their program or project uh, was, the um, additional support that they received either from other grants or from sponsors or from in-kind support um, or individual donors to help them achieve the vision in addition to what we gave them mm. for grants funding, that that's what I mean by leverage. So $85,000 turns into $1.2 million in impact on the arts, you know, like that is incredible. So we feel really, really proud of that. But as I was saying, Creatives need more support. You know, grants are one part of the pie. It can't, you know, uh, grant funding can never sustain uh, an artist completely. So the professional development piece, you know, if you're an emerging artist, how are you going to level up to the next stage of your career? Yeah, so I'd be curious to know, um, and I've seen some posts on uh, your Facebook sharing through Spokane Arts, and I think you had four. Did, Did I get that right? The, and I thought the the uh, the prompts for the professional development were, were, were really cool as an emerging artist. For, well, how was that received? Did you get a good turnout? And um, what would be like the best advice, you know, given your uh, position as the executive director for emerging artists to start making inroads in, into an art scene to where they possibly could be accepted? Uh, or chosen to participate in some of these projects and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so we feel really good about the artist meetups. uh, And those grew out, those grew directly out of what artists told us they wanted. They wanted more time for networking. They wanted some concrete, specific advice. They wanted to uh, learn what venues wanted from them whether it's a gallery or a performance venue you know what do you want from me how do i get shown in your space so we've been going around to different venues like you said and and having these artist meetup events and each one has a discussion topic um so yeah i feel good about how those are going the attendance at those has been uh, pretty good and it's been a really lovely mix of what we're finding is a lot of artists who are new to town hear about that Mm. show up and then are immediately plugged in to a bunch of people who already live here and who know what's going on so that feels like uh, a good outcome of those and then in terms of what to tell (coughs) emerging artists I think uh, just not being afraid to show up and ask questions and uh, I think just honestly it sounds so simple but the basic act of showing up to someone else's gallery opening and saying hey I really like that piece I really think what you're doing here is interesting and I don't mean in the sense of giving false compliments I mean you know show up and and introduce yourself and say something thoughtful whether it's a show or a theater production or a reading or whatever it may be um, because that's that's how you meet people 
that's how you get plugged in. That's how you hear about opportunities that you might not otherwise hear about. And then, of course, we have all kinds of ways that Spokane Arts does to try to make it easy for emerging artists to utilize those tools. So, you know, we blast out public art opportunities on our social media and newsletter and through our website and all of those things. Um, but yeah, I think just like engaging with the community that you want to be a part of is the best first step to again making connections learning about opportunities meeting people that you might want to collaborate with um, whether professionally or just for fun Mm -hmm. so it sounds like that's been successful and you've reached your goal on that so my question is uh, other things that you have offered what what have you considered successes where even maybe so where you you kind of put it out there and you're like I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen with this and then maybe it turned out to be uh more successful than you thought. Can you think of some things that have have been, they don't necessarily need to be surprising successes, but what do you consider some of your successes? Ooh, this is a good question. I don't know. I feel like I'm having my performance review. This is great. (laughs) Do I get a raise at the end of this? Um, And you mean just sort of like general spoken art successes over the past few years. Sure, sure. Initiatives that have come up, things that came from you, from the community, from somebody else, and you go, wow, that actually turned out incredibly well. Yeah, I think... um, Yeah, again, I mean, we feel really proud of how the grants program is going. There are just so many incredible projects, and we we, uh, really try to push them out there and highlight those grantees, and we have them all listed on our website. And it sounds like that's really grown over time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what we have been trying to do with those grantees, which this is the piece that I think is really unique to Spokane Arts Grants program, and which is really a credit to our staff, especially our current grants administrator, Shelley Weinkoop, which is we're treating these grantees and the applicants really holistically. And so we're not just saying, you know, submit your application, you find out whether or not you got the grant, and that's the end of it. Here's your money, like farewell and good luck. Um, If you don't receive, you know, if you aren't selected for funding with that round, we're giving you feedback. We're meeting with you one-on-one. We're saying, here's how to strengthen your application, and we really think you should apply again. Um, We're saying, you know, here are the things that you could tweak. Here's some advice. Here's a budget spreadsheet. Here's a, you know, here are all these resources to really help people. And then I think when people are, when people do receive funding or when groups do receive funding, again, we're trying to say, we want to support you long term. Like this is part of a long term relationship with Spokane Arts. We're not just handing you a check and saying farewell. Um, And so that to me feels really special and significant uh, toward our efforts to, you know, build and support the arts and culture community in a thoughtful way way Mm -hmm. well i'm also thinking too like uh for somebody who's not maybe plugged into the arts community what are some things that when i say successes you know maybe somebody's been to one of those lit crawls and they say oh i didn't realize that was spokane arts what are some of the other things um that you've done that have really integrated with the community that people may have seen and not known it was related to you yeah this is Mm -hmm. such a great question and i'm grinning as you ask it because i 
most of the things that we've done, I think people don't realize were us. Um, so yeah, any murals on public spaces, uh, we commission murals um, on public spaces and the sources for funding for those are varied. Um, the new public plaza that was just installed, which of mm-hmm. course is a city of Spokane project in partnership with the Spokane tribe, but um, all of the artwork on that plaza, which is by uh, Spokane tribe artist Jeff Ferguson and Colville tribe artist Smoker Marchand, all of that artwork was administered by Spokane Arts. So we spent literally the last five years making sure that all of the artwork that would be integrated into that plaza um, you know, went smoothly and and uh, was approved by the Spokane tribe and, and was going to do all of the things that we wanted it to do. Um, so yeah, there are just so the signal box program where you know you've got these utility boxes, the traffic signal boxes, and SDCU partners with us to sponsor that program, which we're incredibly grateful for. But you know those are such just like people in the community are delighted by those. I go to the dentist office. I go to you know um, the allergy doctor, and he's like, I love those. Those are so great. Uh, and I think you know wouldn't necessarily associate them with a particular organization. Yeah. I was thinking, um, so how does, um, I mean, I'm sure as part of your job, you have to kind of look at what other cities are doing across the country or maybe other cities similar to Spokane. Yeah. I have Boise and Tacoma come to mind as far as uh, proximity. But um, how does Spokane um, compare with with those and – if they're doing some things that are really cool, what are some of the things you'd like to borrow or get going here that you've learned from them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, what we have learned, and this is completely based on hard data, is that we lag behind those cities of comparable size in terms of arts and culture funding. And and when I say we lag behind, it's by a massive margin. Um, and that's both private and public funding in other cities. Um, and so, you know, that's that's quite a gap that we'd like to continue working over time to to fill. Um, now, when you say private funding, do you mean just getting people to donate? Getting Yeah, well, so one of the things is uh, in other cities, Tacoma, you know, is uh, similar, very similar size to us, um, has many similarities. I lived there for six years, and so I can speak to all the ways mm-hmm. in which Tacoma and Spokane are actually very similar. But um, they, if you were in, if you were an artist in Tacoma, you would have um, multiple organizations and multiple grant opportunities that you could apply for if you were an artist or arts organization. And in Spokane, the Spokane Arts Grant Awards are the only dedicated source mm-hmm. of arts and culture mm-hmm. funding that you can apply for. You know, you can apply for an individual grant from Artist Trust, which is a statewide organization, and there are there are some funds available through local foundations maybe kind of sort of for arts and culture projects you know i mean many of the local foundations list four or five priorities and arts and culture might be one of them but it might get outranked by sciences or health or another priority so spokane arts only source of funding you know, grant dedicated source of grant funding for local artists. And that's not the case in other cities or bigger cities. There would be a lot of places you could go to to seek out support. 
Yeah. So part of the money um, came from this comes from the city, right? It was the city council, I believe, it was you know played a part in that. I'm not sure how all that works. Um, you know, we have a, 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 a new mayor, and of course, there's going to be the, the politics around that and support of the arts and culture. Um, what kind of things do you have to go through or uh, promote to help promote increased funding? Just as you said, we're, we lag behind cities our size. Yeah, I think one of the things that we have learned, and we're in the process of pulling together more data on this, which is very exciting so that we'll have hard numbers to take back to the city in addition to the ones that I already mentioned. But um, what we have found is that, you know, the the little 30% of this tiny little tax fund that is going toward arts and culture in Spokane, you know, this is not a massive amount of money. It's a comparatively very small amount of money within the city's budget. Um, but this little 30% uh, pot of money that's going toward arts and culture, what we have seen is that investing that 30% into arts and culture has increased the amount of that tax that's being collected, right? Yeah. And it's gone uh, just straight yeah. up. Um, so we that is very encouraging in the sense that like we're demonstrating what an impact the creative industries have on our city's economy that you can see a direct correlation when you invest in arts and culture this is what happens mm -hmm. you know more people visit your downtown more visitors spend money on arts and culture they go out for dinner before they go see a best of broadway show you know etc cetera, etc cetera. uh but we are partnering with another statewide organization and they have agreed to uh pay for a researcher to analyze mm. the state of the creative economy in Spokane on the ground right now. So we won't be relying on like old census data. You know, we this will be actual qualitative and quantitative research that tells us how many people are employed by creative jobs in the city of Spokane. Mm -hmm. If you're an artist, how many artists are able to support themselves full time just from their art? How many people are working you know, gig economy, jobs, that sort of thing. Right. So I'm really looking forward to that. It sounds nerdy to be like so <laughs> excited about some data. Uh, but someone told me recently that data is now considered uh, more a more valuable commodity than oil in the world we live in. Data is more valuable than oil in terms of how it's being bought and sold and how much uh, power it gives people. So... Mm. Anyway, so yeah. once you get that back, I mean, there, we could get more money by just asking the city council for more money or something like that. What are some other ways we can get money for artists? Yeah, this is a great question. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, like we want to keep increasing the amount of admissions tax that's collected so that we can keep increasing the amount that we're granting directly from that fund. I think we would also like to be um, applying for more you know, national mm -hmm. funding. So applying for grants more regularly from the NEA. And when NEH. you say you would apply, that I would mean, mean Spokane, Spokane Arts, Arts would, would mm -hmm. apply for it and then that would go to the artists? Well, so, I mean, some of them are project-based things, but I think um, if we were receiving more state and national funding for some of the projects that we're doing, that would free up money in our budget for direct, more direct support to artists. Okay. Um, so for example, public art projects. Mm -hmm. So let's, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Go take, ahead. Let's just take a quick little, uh, uh, break here. I would like to, uh, recognize an underwriter, 
Uh, Art Hour receives support from South Perry Pizza, featuring rotating local artists and serving hand-tossed artisan pizza, beer, and wine at 1011 South Perry Street and online at southperrypizzaspokane.com. And you're listening to KYRS Medical Expo Can 88.1, 92.3 FM. And while we're here, if you uh, want to hear this again, because you are enamored by what we've been talking about, or if you want to hear any of our other interviews, all you have to do is go to wherever you get your podcasts and search Art Hour, uh, and you will find all of our uh, all of our back shows. Yeah. I have, a, I have an interesting question for you, and I, I hope I don't stump you. But um, so you're get lit for I directed for five years. Five years, okay. So then you came over to Spokane Arts. What has been the biggest surprise about being at Spokane Arts? Hmm. Because I mean, you, I mean, it, 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 you started the organization. I mean, you were the first director, correct? Of which? Of Spokane Arts. I was not actually. Oh, you were not. I was not. There were a couple of directors before me. Okay. Uh, for a very short time mm-hmm. each, so for about a year and a year and a half. So I'm okay. the third director of Spokane Arts. Okay. Yeah. But the longest serving. Correct. <laughs> yeah. What was the m- biggest surprise of doing that? And you coming from Get Lit, I know you had run a large organization, so you kind of you thought you knew what you were getting yourself into. But what what I mean, either good or bad or otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it was necessarily a surprise, but I think the area that maybe I had less experience in than my predecessor was the public art realm. And I knew that and was excited to dive in and learn about that. Um, but yeah, the nitty gritty of public art, wowzers. Like <laughs> it is, you know, it, it completely makes sense um, when you think about, you know, we're building a structure, we're, we're creating a structure that is uh, oftentimes more complicated than a building um, and has to perform a variety of functions, you know, if, if it's interactive, if people can climb on it, um, you know, the maintenance piece, how long is it going to last? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, all is there technology involved? All of these things. And then again, just getting people um, uh, engaged and getting everyone to buy into the same or a similar version for one piece of art is a very difficult thing to do, you know, to, to really get everyone around the table. So it's much more diplomatic and political than you thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's way uh, more complicated. I never thought about that piece when you talked about the sustaining of the art. So if you have public art and it's going to, you know, it's going to have some sort of deterioration uh, cycle, so are, are you? Do you have to budget that in at, on the front end, and so that you have those funds available, you know, to repair welds or you know redo things? Yeah. So we uh, oftentimes yes. Um, with the with the murals, we have a line item in our budget that's you know murals are some of the murals at some point during the year are going to get tagged, and so we have a line item in our budget to go out there and fix them, which of course again we have a very small staff, so when I say we go out there and fix them that means Micah Maloney or me is out there with a paintbrush you know Um, (laughs) but yeah with the public art pieces oftentimes it's exactly what you're describing Mm -hmm. and oftentimes it depends on the entity that we're partnering with so uh, for example when the city of Spokane is um, commissioning a piece of artwork like these pieces of artwork that are on the plaza it becomes part of the public collection and um, you know, uh, Spokane Arts will assist and advise and help maintain the artwork. Um, the
the parks department, for example, if someone is, if there's an external group who is, let's say, someone wants to donate an art piece to Riverfront Park and they'd like that piece to be installed, um, that is built into the budget from the front end. That 10% of whatever it costs to fabricate the sculpture is going into a maintenance fund and then that helps take care of it long term. So. So I also recently learned that um, Spokane Arts has a board of directors or a commission, arts commission, with several members. And then it's kind of a rotating basis of people leaving so that you kind of have a, a steady influx of new, at least a core of new people. And then yeah. you're here. So how would, how would somebody, if they're interested in doing that, that lives within Spokane yeah. city limits, um, a, apply for that or get, get information around that. Yeah, absolutely. So we have, so Spokane Arts is a 501c3. And I think I mentioned this because uh, people very often get confused about whether we're part of the city or we're not part of the city. It's very confusing. I understand, but we are a 501c3 nonprofit. We have a eight member governing board. And so they are the group that provides, you know, fiduciary oversight. They're my bosses, etc. And then the Arts Commission, which has 16 members, is um, an advisory board to both the city of Spokane and to Spokane Arts. So yeah, exactly as you're describing the Arts Commission, they are incredible. It's an all-volunteer board. Uh, People serve for a three-year term and they have the option to extend that term. And they do all kinds of things for arts and culture in Spokane. They serve on juries. They volunteer at events. um, They, you know, help select the next poet laureate or sit on a mural jury or, um, you know, advise on policy or sit on various committees and so it's a group of people that are from all neighborhoods in Spokane you know a wide range of neighborhoods they represent a wide range of arts disciplines and they're all coming around the table and meeting monthly if not more to say you know are we doing enough what can we be doing better here's what I'm hearing in the community have we thought about this what do you want to do about this you know I'd really like to see us move in this direction so they are lovely and wonderful and anyone who's interested uh, can contact me Um, the like you said they're rotating you know people rotate off so we just brought on a huge number of or we're about to bring on a huge number of new commissioners the application period just closed for this year but uh next year there will be another round where we'll be bringing on a few more people um so yeah it's a really lovely volunteer opportunity it's a wide range of people who um are individual artists and who are arts advocates and who um you know just want to support culture in the community so they're wonderful and then on the on the volunteer uh theme do you also have events where you need just volunteers to do this and that and kind of go for work or whatever yeah. it may entail and if um and how would they how does people get interest uh, get yeah we do have that? a little form on our website which is just spokanearts.org and you know you can go online and fill out the form and say mm-hmm. you know here's sort of what i might be interested in and then also we're happy to meet with people myself or micah love to you know sit down one-on-one with people and just chat about what they're interested in and how they can plug in um but yeah oftentimes at event you know we do booths at community events like pride 
Pride Fest or farmers markets, all kinds of events like that. And so oftentimes it's great to have someone who can hang out with a staff member and, you know, help do a kid's craft activity or um, help welcome people into the Chase Gallery, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, definitely a lot of opportunities to plug in. And then the other thing that that, that reminds me of, Eric, when you had asked earlier, uh, you know, what do you, what what might people not realize about Spokane Arts is that with all of those kind of programs that I mentioned, the murals and the sculpture and the poet laureate and all of those things, I think there might be a misperception that like the members of the Arts Commission are deciding all of those things, uh, which is not the case. So the way that we do, they're all a juried process. So we'll have five or six people um, sit on a jury. There's usually one Arts Commission representative or maybe two. Um, and then the rest are community members. So depending on what the project is, uh, you know, if it's a mural project in downtown Spokane, then we'll have a nearby business owner and someone from the neighborhood council and someone who lives nearby. And, you know, so it's always a mix of community members plus one or two arts commissioners. And so I think sometimes, uh, you know, people, how would you know what the process is if no one had, if you hadn't specifically participated in it? So that's another way that people can volunteer if they're, you know, an emerging artist who wants to apply for a mural project projects a couple years down the road that's a great way to get some behind the scenes experiences volunteer for one of those juries so what's coming up that you're excited about that spoken arts is doing oh my gosh mm-hmm. uh we just wrapped up so many big projects what'd you wrap up uh we launched a new website which is very exciting um the new website has a creative roster, so anyone in uh, in the Spokane region, any individual artist or group, performing group, can make a little profile for mm-hmm. themselves on the website. And the website, uh, you can sort them by disciplines. So if someone in the community is looking for a wedding photographer or mm. a quartet to play their event, they Love can just that, hop yeah. on the website and see, you know, here's a mm-hmm. bunch of people that I can contact. I can look at their profile. I can click through to their website. Um, so we feel good about that. And then the website also has uh, an events calendar. So one central place for arts and ca- you know arts and culture events to appear and arts opportunities and that kind of thing um so that big public plaza that that i mentioned uh has i'm trying to remember the exact number but i think there are uh eight human figures and like 10 animal sculptures plus a photo mural plus you know so finishing that public art project was a huge um exciting moment for us looking ahead one of the things that i personally am most excited about is the sculpture that will be installed in riverfront park next year as part of the river riverfront park redevelopment Mm. so um city of spokane has a one percent for the arts policy so if there is uh new construction projects in the city of spokane it's mandated that one percent of your budget go toward public art to help benefit the public realm when we're you know building creating new spaces and so one percent of the um bond dollars for the riverfront park redevelopment were allocated toward public art and we again this is a project we've been working on since i 
2013, mm. somewhere wow. in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will finally be installed next year. It's a massive interactive sculpture. It's designed by this artist who was completely taken with Riverfront Park and everything about the design is inspired by the topography um, and interacting with the river. Mm. And so I just can't wait for that to and come that to life. And where's be installed? So do you know where the... Um, the I can't remember exactly what they're called, but the sort of like swinging pedestrian bridges by the Avista substation are. Mm-hmm. So there's a big grassy area next to that, next mm-hmm. to where on the, the Y. Side. Yep, mm-hmm. on the south side. Um, so part of it, the part that's closest to the river, is conservation area, mm-hmm. and then just outside of that conservation area, so moving a little bit south on that grassy area, is right where the sculpture will be installed. Mm. And like I said, it's an interactive sculpture. So there's an ADA accessible pathway Mm. through the middle of the sculpture. And then um, for those who want to climb up on it, there are like these kind of stairs. And if you were at the top of the sculpture, you'd be about 20 feet above grade. Oh, my gosh. Looking Mm -hmm. down at, you know, this incredible section of the falls. And then you have a really incredible view of the rest of the park. So, you know, off off your shoulder, you can see this great view of the pavilion. You have this great view of the clock tower. Um, And I think especially in the spring when the river is high and the falls Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. really going, I think it'll be an incredible spot. Wow. Yeah. Well, we just have just a few minutes left. Um, yeah. yeah. Anything else, Melissa, that <laughs> we didn't ask that we should have? Oh, good question. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, there's just, I, you know, there's so much happening in, in the arts and culture community. And like I said, um, you know, organizationally, we are, have taken on a lot. And we know that there is a lot more that we want to do and a lot more that needs to be done. And so I think uh, continuing those conversations and being really open to, like we were talking about earlier, being really open to people in the community saying, hey, have you thought about this? Or, you know, I really think that as an arts community, we should really push in this, you know, particular direction. Um, I think we're really open to having those conversations and we want to be having those conversations. And we're a friendly group. Our our tiny but mighty staff is a friendly group. And so, um, you know, reaching out to us by email or social media or however people prefer to reach out, um, we're happy to chat. Well, and I know that the longer we've been doing this and the more I, I talk to artists, uh, it just seems like you have your fingerprints on everything. So you, I, what I've seen is you're just, I mean, you're, you're a big part of the Spokane cultural scene. And so uh, you're doing a great job. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I appreciate yeah, that. Um, yeah, very much so. I admire what you're doing and uh, trying to do so much with scarce resources, but still uh, getting it done is very admirable. I've Which is the Spokane uh, ethos, yeah. right? <laughs> That's our whole, the there DIY Spokane ethos. That's our and I've whole seen thing. her planner. She's doing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, thanks, Melissa. Again, what was the uh, um, your website again? Because there's a lot of stuff it looks like people yeah. can get from that. Yeah, it's spokanearts.org. Okay, very yeah. good. Well, once again, thanks, Melissa, for joining us and uh, for KYRS. Um, yeah. See you next week. Yeah. Thank you.